welcome to No Page Unturned, the podcast where Christina, Steph, and myself, Josh, go in-depth discussing books, mainly focusing on those written by BIPOC and LGBTQ plus authors. You don't have to read along with us, but be warned, there will be spoilers ahead. Welcome, welcome to Geekly Booklings. We decided to talk about 2022. Yes, as of right now, we are now 58% done with 2022. So I had the idea that we should talk about the books that we've read so far, starting with the one that we've all talked about and we've all read. I think like we each have our individual books that we've probably read, but this one book we've all read and it's The Discord of Gods by Jen Lyons. And we're going to talk about it on the podcast, so we're going to like maybe avoid like the more detailed part of it. But I wanted to talk about how you know this series started started only in 2019, and now we are at its end. <laughs> and I just want to talk about how excited we were all to receive this book and read it and read it through to the end. And I'm, I just want your like general thoughts about like. What, it, what it's like for this series to have like come to an end. It is both like sad and happy because obviously like, I think we always want more A Chorus of Dragons in our lives. And, and it, it was a really good ending in my opinion. It was very satisfying, but also it's like, Oh, there's so much more to learn and to know. And we do know that Jen Lyons is, is writing additional material. Who knows if it'll ever see the light of day, but, um, I don't yeah like I think something there is something to be said about the ending of a series that is really satisfying and good and that is hard like the reason that so many things you know tv shows and books and movies are end up being not favorably remembered even though if they could be good for 90% of the run and if they ha- don't stick the landing then they fade away or get consistently made fun of like lost and game of thrones and and all this stuff and and this was a really good ending like i felt very satisfied with it narratively things came together emotionally things came together and so it was great to you know there's always apprehension going into the last book of a series and it's like oh god like what if it's not good like what if i finish and i'm just like oh fuck this because that's happened to me before where i'm like finish something and i was like oh come on so yeah i'm you know it was a delight to feel and see everything come together in this very satisfying way and and that was uh probably my favorite part about the discord of gods is that it was good that's a great point yeah that that sense of relief i think yes absolutely eclipsed a lot of things for me so like we all started reading this at different points. Um, I I don't know if we talked about this in the first podcast, but Josh was like, oh, hey, are you going to review this book? And I was like, yeah, I didn't think that I was, but I got sent a copy of it. So I started it and then I couldn't put it down. Um, and then Josh read it and then we bullied Steph into reading it. Well, we bullied her into starting it and then she read it on her own. And this, this podcast kind of was very happenstancey. Um, so knowing, like, knowing that you're starting a podcast with a series that's not finished is nerve wracking because yeah. we all know what happened yeah. in Thrones. 
Um, and we knew that the series was going to finish. Like, Jen Lyons is a beast. This is a three-year, like... Oh, my God. More than 2,000... Maybe more than 3,000 pages? Like, it's insane. Yeah, probably, yeah. And just to... There was a lot of risk, and I think that I'm still... And, it, and we read it during a nightmare America and a pandemic parts of it and just like on and on these things. And so like, it's been this great refuge and this place to go where you get great battles, but you also kind of get to engage with what's going on in the world Mm. in a, in a distant way. And just, there's, there's a lot of feelings that we're all like underneath that relief too. Yeah. You can you can hear the hope that we have in some episodes that are not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like overall, like it's always good when a creator knows when with things like this not to outstay their welcome. And it's very, it's very like I don't want to rail on capitalism, but it's very hard under capitalism when you have a especially with storytelling where, and this happens so often where like when something becomes a hit, often the people helping you put out that thing will be like, Hey, what if we do more? Mm. And you know, you have to, we live in a world where we have to make money and you, and it's like, you have to make more, even though you know, Oh, this should have been the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, you see, so you, Comic books are really guilty of this, mm. where they'll just keep going, coming out and coming out and coming out and coming out and coming out, and a series never ends because, like, it's just like a you know capitalist machine got to print mm-hmm. more money. So it's great that not only can a series end, but it can end you know well because there's there's always a chance of something like we I want more. The everyone on this podcast wants more, but there was always a chance that if it like became like even if it be- ch- changed from a six book series from a five book series to a six book series, that it could have been like oh this wasn't we, we this shouldn't have happened yeah 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 like there really is no filler in a course of dragons, which is something that we've talked about a lot, particularly when we were um reading the first and second book where there was, you know, things we picked up where we're like, oh my god, this doesn't become relevant again for two books, but it's here. Like, there is no chaff. Mm. And, you know, to, yeah, I think you're, you're right. Like, obviously we want more, but you do run that risk of, like, it becoming fillery. And, you know, like, I love lots of different animes, but I'll skip episodes of many of my favorites because this doesn't accomplish anything, even though I love you know, the subject matter and the show and the characters was like, I don't need this. And so, yeah, there's no filler in A Chorus of Dragons. And I think there being no filler helps the world to stay feeling real. Like, right up until the end, it definitely, like, there were still revelations, but you knew that there was more information to be had. You knew that there were places in this world you hadn't gone, there were yeah. things that you hadn't accomplished. But that's life, you know? like. Yeah. When when a series goes on for so long and and exploits every single corner of the world, it's just kind of like, well, why do I want to go there? That's that's like this world. Like, I know I could go to Indianapolis, but like, <laughs> <laughs> don't Sorry, do it. If you're from Indianapolis, I'm 
never been there because I don't <laughs> want to, but it might be nice. It's all right. So yeah, I, I think I think there's that tantalizing mystery that was so much a part of the first book is still there in the last book, which is really impressive to me. Mm-hmm. It's just like you didn't know what the hell was going on in the first book and kind of that that never goes away yeah there's there's always a sense that like there's something kind of bigger out there Mm -hmm. that we're Mm -hmm. just peeking at um and that that something becomes then bigger and bigger each time and even in book five we're learning things where it's like holy crap like this opens up so many possibilities but that being said like it's not that jen lyon's kept us get like it wasn't like oh there's a twist uh which drives me insane um it it was very much like it built on good foundations you could see a lot of the beats coming in a good way you know things escalated timelines got scrunched down as things got more urgent and it all made sense like there was it's not just that she didn't tell us things like there's a lot of accomplishment there's a lot of work that went into this it's it's Clearly, there's an architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Jen Lyons is really good at something that um, I also really like about Brandon Sanderson's writing is that they always will answer questions, but ask more. Mm -hmm. So you're not, you know, getting strung along by the same mysteries for books and books and books. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always questions answered, but there's always questions asked. So you, you get this satisfaction of learning things and then that opens up new mysteries. And like Brandon Sanderson, the action, Brandon Sanderson asks the question with every fight, what is the most awesome possible thing? And Jen Lyons does that too. And that's a really good question to ask in action sequences. Yeah, and I feel like there was this time period in the like early 2000s where people thought... um, if a story or a movie or television show ended the way you predicted that it was a bad thing. Yeah. And yeah. like twists became uh like so popular, but then twists started like not making sense. And uh, uh, we, we, you know, we had our, our whole prediction article and yeah. some of the, our predictions were right. And some of them were wrong. But like, if you guess what's going to happen at the end of a story and that happens, that means that the writer, storyteller, or whatever, was leading you down the path, and they did it well. Because mm-hmm. exactly. you're su- you're supposed to have some idea of like, oh, I know where this is leading. It's not just supposed to be all like one huge mystery. Yeah. Like it, it, like having a, a like you know, detective books for ages have this had this figured out where they, you know, lead you. They give you clues, and they lead you, and you're like, oh, I. Th- I know who the murderer mm-hmm. is and then either it reveals things that you didn't know or you guessed the murderer right but it doesn't take like doesn't take away from the ending and you know the discord of gods has like you know things that like we thought were going to happen and then the, you know what they happened because that's where the storytelling was yeah. going <laughs> yeah yeah like there's nothing more frustrating than reading a mystery like a detective novel in particular and you get to the end and you're like well how was i supposed to figure that out like that came out in like that's so yeah. frustrating and i i often have that problem with a lot of like shows and books and stuff where i'm like well t- what was the point of all this if like i physically could not have figured it out myself yeah and i think that's where the those two 
creators that worked on the Game of Thrones show lost their way when they didn't have any books anymore mm -hmm. is that they started like putting in twists and killing mm -hmm. off characters with any not without having a path that led yeah. to that and it's not even like just the ending not making sense it's like the whole final season mm -hmm. like adding up more and more stuff that didn't make any sense like cuz that's not where the story was leading the yeah. entire time yeah. but they felt like they had to like do twist because that's what the audience expected mm -hmm. at that point. Was, no, the whole point is that the the first twist of you know what happens to Ned leads to all these mm -hmm. all these like events afterwards, and and you see how it builds up the whole way. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, when you reread or rewatch the yeah, first like, season uh... or first book, you can you can figure out why what happened mm -hmm. to Ned. What happened to Ned? It's just that so many years of storytelling. At, under capitalism again leads you to believe oh they're not gonna kill off the lead actor the lead character yeah. that's just not how we you know make stories that have marketing now because you know gotta market the lead character so yeah. why would you kill him off so that's where people were like surprised and then those guys you know they lost their way with that whole deal Anyway, and I, I, <laughs> I think I think that's also a, an interesting take, in a, an interesting moment of comparison because like everybody loved Ned Stark. He was like the good guy. He was trying to do the right thing. He yeah. fucked up sometimes, and he didn't have perfect information, but he was generally like honorable and thoughtful and a very capable. traditional book protagonist, yeah. like fantasy hero guy, yeah. and. And you're expected to love him. Like, the whole point is that you love these characters. And I think by the end of Game of Thrones, the, it felt like the creators hated... This is not a Game of Thrones podcast. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I have a point about Chorus of Dragons. Like, it felt like they hated all the characters. They were ready to be done with them. They just wanted to see them suffer. And it was just like, why, why would I watch a show that you hate? If, like, if mm. you're just going to make me hate everybody or like feel bad for them yeah. but i think that the love for these characters is so evident in chorus of dragons all throughout and just like they're goofy sometimes and they screw up and they're naive or they're pig-headed you know but they're people and they're ultimately lovable it's like we, we talked a lot about how much we love senere despite the fact that she is she's a, she's a terrorist murderer. yeah she, she's a real bad person yeah and I think that, you know, if you don't love something, you can't expect anybody else to love it. But, like, the love is so evident through the last mm -hmm. page. And it's a happy ending. Like, there's yeah. something to be said for a happy ending to a book. And, like, obviously, you know, there are, there's much more nuance to it than that. But, like, mm -hmm. it is, for the most part, a positive ending. And, like... <laughs> God, it just feels like we don't get a lot of those these right. days, you know, like it, modern storytelling is is often still quite very grim dark or like mm -hmm. shades of gray or like, you know, just like oh, like the goal was accomplished, but at what cost and really makes you think. Yeah. It's like, no, I just like it was really nice to read an ending where like things were pretty much good and I felt very good about what happened for everybody. Yeah, and it's also like it ends 
happy, but it doesn't fix. Everything's not fixed. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, you know, a happy ending that made sense. It isn't mm-hmm. just like everything has a neat little bow on it. And like it's, it is happy in a way that is satisfying rather than just being um, like a super like sugary sweet kind of happy. And I think that that's the the lesson that I hope Hollywood is is learning is that people don't want saccharin, but they want hope. Yeah. And maybe it's the times, you know, we could look back at this podcast in 10 years and be like, oh man, we were all just super traumatized. We can calm down <laughs> about this. But like, you know, I, I think it's, I think a lot of people get in that teenage mindset of being like, you know, like, Let's be edgelords about this. Mm. And, you know, like, it's realistic. It's like, no, it's not. Life is weird. Sometimes it works out and it's funny. Yeah. And sometimes it's terrible and it sucks. But, like, you know, it's no more realistic or less realistic to have a happy ending than a sad one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's nice that Jen Lyons doesn't want to watch the world burn. Yes. Like, <laughs> like, like, does, maybe we should I don't know, fix need this? to prove a point about right yeah exactly yeah but if you listen to our interview with Jen Lyons you'll know after you've read Discord of Gods you'll know that like there are still things that could lead to more conflict Mm -hmm. in the books so she leaves that open-ended even though we do get a happy ending for our main characters most of them most most of them most Yeah. yeah I think uh I think I think everything felt fitting. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, not I think that's what I think that's kind of what I'm circling at least is that I don't need it to be happy, but I also don't need it to be sad. I just need it to be fitting, right? Like the end of Breaking Bad was good um because it wasn't that it was happy or sad. The inevitable consequences of what they were doing happened. Like yeah. mm-hmm. Walter White he was always going to end up some kind of way like that. Yeah. And that's why it resonated with people in a way that Game of Thrones didn't. Like, no, nothing about the end of Game of Thrones was inevitable. Yeah. It, it yeah. was just there. Yeah. There was, like, no really foreshadowing mm-hmm. at all for most yeah. of the events that happened. Yeah. And, you know, characters that had learned lessons, unlearned some of those lessons. <laughs> right, <before>. Exactly. <laughs> cough jamie lannister cough. well yeah and you know it just you can you can tell me a story about how someone never someone has a bad love affair forever because that happens to people right but like mm-hmm. you can't tell me that story again and again and again you know there's a reason we don't watch other people on tv we watch actors and stories right. <laughs> like so all the praise to yeah. the Discord yeah. of Gods by Jen Lyons. Uh, goodbye to Course of Dragons for now. But no. it wasn't the only books. You know, the Discord of Gods was not the only book that we read in 2022 so far. Um, we've read some others, and uh, I would like to talk about one of the ones I read, uh, starting us off with, uh, I just recently read... Uh, the Daughter of Red Winter by Ed McDonald. And uh, this book started off, I was a little worried because 
the main character rain she's like ran away to join a cult and in that cult like when she was like 12 or 13 she ran away to join that cult at the present day when the book starts she's 17 and she uh is dating someone twice her age and it's it seems very like he had been grooming her from when she joined the cult to present day and events happen where she you know uh she rescues a woman that uh was in trouble and uh we learn later on that um she's not so much in trouble but he he responds by uh hitting her and i was very worried about this book in the beginning but it slowly reveals that like events happen where rain changes and uh like the big inciting incident involved like um sort of like an undead wizard and rain starts to realize you know how problematic her boyfriend and this cult is and then she gets out of it and you know like not and if their their relationship is not like romanticized in any way or like given like oh yeah it was such a positive thing for me and now it's gone no she she after this traumatic incident involving uh magic she doesn't understand she starts to realize like the reality of uh it's almost like she had stockholm syndrome and then like recovers from it and realizes the uh that 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 was not good for her and that's when the book started really picking up because it, it plays with like a lot of um like i love it when magic is also uh played with like class issues like the 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 magic users in the in the book are called drowin and they are like of clans like sort of like Scottish Irish clans that are related to the king and they like because of what they are protecting without spoiling it um they put themselves above um other people to the point where like the in order to stop this girl that the main character Rain rescued who was about to unleash something she shouldn't these to drow and basically kill all of uh the cult members to get to this girl and it's like oh the leader tells rain when she's talking about it like oh i lost everybody i knew she's like i would put i would put every you don't realize how many lives or more are like we're willing to sacrifice in order to like preserve this thing and it plays with like sort of like um sort of what it means to be like of a different class than these magic users but also at the same time most of the like characters and cast of characters we interact with are teenagers and so often with fantasy when writers write teenagers they tend to forget that they're teenagers and they start acting more like adults but not not this author mcdonald he like they always like act like teenagers and like the boy there's like a problematic boy in it mm. who definitely acts like a teenage boy that it was just like oh yeah i really appreciate this like and i I love that the the main character 
like sort of acts the the way a 17 year old girl would act and that's never lost throughout all the like big events that happen throughout the book like this girl can see the spirits of the dead but also she wants to like have other friends that are girls and hang out and stay up late and you know it's it was just like a a, a book that uh I did not realize it was going to be as good as it was, especially with the way it started off in the beginning. And uh, I would like gladly recommend it to people. Yeah, you you were like texting us. You were like, oh, I don't know about this. And then maybe a day or two later, you're like, no, this book is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely the the roller coaster ride there made me want to read it. So Mm. it's already waiting for me in the library. Yeah, it's on my list. It's only on Josh's recommendations. So, mm-hmm. recommendations. Mm-hmm. What about oh, what about you guys? What have you read so far in 2022 that you would uh, like to talk about? Uh, so my top book so far this year, I think, has been uh, Sarah Gailey's new book, Just Like Home. Uh, it was really good. I like read the first half, I think, in a day. Um, and it's not super long, but it was just like a really good spooky kind of supernatural thing. Uh, it had a really good mystery and it was a really good example of like how to do an unreliable narrator. Well, um, obviously I can't like say too much about what happens, but you know, you are in the, the protagonist's head. Like it is, it is POV kind of situation. And halfway through the book, you learn something that like literally had me just, Oh, no. <laughs> like, so I, you know, it can be really tough. Unreliable, unreliable narrator can be really tough because you have to, you know, hide things from the audience while still being in that person's head. And I think Sarah Gailey did it really well. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was, um, I, I talked about this in my review of it. But like, it, it was a weird book for me to read also because, you know, my, my grandmother just passed away a couple of months, I guess, yeah, ago. And so, you know, part of this book is going home and clearing out the house of a dying loved one. And how do you deal with that? And like, how do you deal with the the history that came along with it? And, you know, in this case, the uh, so the, the main character, her father was a serial killer. And so dealing with unpacking, you know, the house that her father built for this family and then also, you know, specifically purpose built a murder basement in and how how do you reconcile with that? And so it was good, like, even if it hadn't had like kind of the horror supernatural angles of it, I think it still would have been a really interesting uh, book for that and, and the way it kind of unpacks true crime a little bit, too. But uh, yeah, it was great. And like, yeah, it definitely near the end, I was like, oh, dang, when certain stuff was going down. So uh, I really, really enjoyed that book. I think for me, it's hard to pick favorites. Um, and I just, so I'm just going to pick one that like, I think we're going to end up talking about some of our runners up or other books that we've read this year. Um, and so this is not like, this is not the the book, um, but definitely the book that I think that everybody should be reading is, um, if not Sundial, then anything by Catriona Ward. Um, Sundial is set in America. 
Uh, and I was a little skeptical because it's written by this very British person. Um, but aside from a couple things where it's like, ah, mm, we should have localized. It was... I don't, I don't know how to describe how assured her writing is and her plotting is. It's just... When we talk about inevitability, like, holy shit. Um, it just, everything feels like it is both shocking and inevitable at the same time. And this, she just, like, I hate, I hate the, like, oh, this is the next Stephen King. She's not Stephen King, and Stephen King isn't her, and, you know, I'm not, but I think there's not a lot of overlap there. But she is definitely heir to this, this culture of writing that is about suspense it's not about it's not like a murder mystery although there's murder and mystery it's not fantasy although there are elements of the supernatural it's not science fiction even though there are elements of science fiction it is just so suspenseful because everybody is doing things that you completely understand and you also know that they shouldn't and it just it's so tight um and i don't know that Every single twist worked, but those twists are not, they're not twists, right? They're just, they're just there all along and the characters won't look at them because of who the characters are. Um, And so, and all of her books are like this. Sundial came out this year, but every single book, um, yeah, and she just, she just writes about like such fucked up families and it's really nice to see that too. Because like nobody's family is normal. These are extreme, but like. It's just so good. In conclusion, read book. Read book. Good, good book. I, I, I appreciate a book that is like, you can't just put it into like one genre. Like it's just a hodgepodge of different elements. And like I often say that uh, I think fantasy is best when it isn't just like one genre where it adds like all these different elements that you would like expect to see from other genres but just in fantasy and i think too like fantasy has been so overwhelmingly influenced by people who wrote in the medieval period like tolkien Mm -hmm. still you feel that but tolkien was just a giant nerd who loved medieval stuff just the biggest just such a nerd he was like like, what if languages (laughs) yeah his idea wasn't to write fantasy it was to write like uh just like something that would enable him to create more languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was Bruno a was just drug. this vehicle for him yeah. being like, and then, yeah. and like he he wasn't intending to set the tone of fantasy for the next hundred years. No. He was just like, I want to write an alternate history for England with tree people, and like everyone in England is this like adorably bumbling person instead of this weird machine of empire let's all bumble and be an oxford anyway yes. I, let's put let me tell you how much grass. i love trees <laughs> yes. just yes. such trees let's eat carrots and put our toes in the grass la-di-da and i just yeah so i mean not to harp on it but like when people love the stuff that they're writing it you can feel it and i i don't mean to be food network about it it's like <laughs> you know but you can taste it when people love the stuff they're making for you, no matter if it's food or, or movies or books. And it just, you know, nothing about and, the, the books that I love is really functory. 
And that goes back to our point about series not going too long, because mm-hmm. eventually yeah, the author yeah. doesn't want to do it anymore. Right, exactly. Totally. Okay, so the second book I want to talk about is uh, The Justice of Kings by Richard Swan. I love this book because it is two things. It is the, like, politics, like, uh, like scheming and, like, everything that was, like, everyone loved about, like, seasons one through three of Game of Thrones and or books one through three of Game of Thrones where, like, there's political intrigue, people are backstabbing each yeah. other, and, but... It is also fantasy Sherlock Holmes. Ooh. The main character is like the what it's written. The main character is like a teenage girl who is an apprentice to uh, it's been a while since I read the book, but they're like inquisitors or I forget the name or like ambassadors. But uh, she's like an apprentice and she's describing the story of the Sherlock Holmes type character solving a murder while this like political intrigue is happening happening in the background and like that the Sherlock Holmes character has you know magical abilities that helps them solve murders where like it's called the voice of the emperor where he'll like project his voice and he'll get like people uh to like tell the truth and he can like speak to the dead but it's like a, a, a like really hard ritual, and there's like there's there's also like underneath all that, underneath the Sherlock Holmes type story, underneath the political intrigue, there's like sort of like Cthulhu like otherworldly shit happening, <laughs> and all this mixed together is so good, and it never like the whole time, the like while the political intrigue is happening in the background. It never stems away from trying to solve the murder, and it goes through many. It goes through so many steps that you would expect from like a Sherlock Holmes book, where it's like, here's all the evidence. Here's the person that we think is the murderer. There's like a twist that makes sense because a lot of those stories, like they, you know, back they had twists that, like, oh, oh yeah, that seems so obvious now. And then, like, oh, they solve the murder. And then that political intrigue that was happening in the background comes to the forefront. <laughs> and the climax of the book is so chaotic, and but it's so great. And I absolutely, like, if you look at the cover of this book, it's not a great cover. And it might actually, like, it's so, the cover of this book is so bad, it might turn you off from the book. Because it is a, and no disrespect to the artist, but it is a, like fancy ass fantasy cover okay. that makes it look like that is exactly why I did not pick it up. I will be totally <laughs> honest. It's not great. It's like it's almost like some listeners will not remember this, but when Blockbuster existed, <laughs> you could go there. In the before oh, time, you do have, this to me, Josh. And they would have, you know, they would have the movies that just came out, and then they would have next to it the rip-off movies <laughs> that, like, it'd be, like, Godzilla, and then the movie next to it would be, like, Big Monster. <laughs> but the, the cover would look very much like, very much like the Godzilla cover. This looks like a, like a Game of Thrones-type cover, and, but it's, underneath it, the book is, like, fantastic. 
and I can't wait to see where it goes. Um, it has the the narrator is like telling the story from the future, so there's also that aspect of like, um, her like revealing like little parts where it's like, and this event led to something later on, and when I was older, and so it has like all this like, um, like. It doesn't just have one hook. It has like several hooks and you want to grab them all at the same time. And it's a lot of fun. Nice. And it's not, and it's not like a, it's like not a complicated book either. Like you could pick it up and read it and you would like immediately understand when I say that this is a Sherlock. If you've read any, like even if you watched just a Sherlock Holmes movie, you would understand the like, you know, the Watson Holmes relationship of this apprentice to uh the Inquisitor type uh character. It's great. It's fantastic. Nice. I really loved it. Love a good murder mystery, honestly. You know, there's a reason it's an enduring format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of that this is again gonna sound not relevant, but I swear to god it is. It makes me think of that Star Trek episode. Uh with the xenophobic aliens and next generation. And the whole point of the episode is that humans are curious. And this is what Picard explains to this alien who wants to like either take them captive or obliterate their memories forever or something like that. He's like, you just didn't hide. Like we figured this out because you left a bunch of clues around and humans by nature are curious. That's what our species does. And I was like that. That's a first of all, that's a very next gen thing to say. And I appreciate <laughs> that. But it's also like, yeah. And speaking of curiosity, I immediately went and requested this at the library to Josh, because I had all those thoughts from the cover and I didn't follow through and you did, and that was great. And now I'm I don't even remember why I followed through, because I also saw the cover and was like, uh, I don't know. It is funny sometimes, you know maybe yeah maybe it's cover design maybe it's something where you're just like oh, yeah, i'll give it a try even though it's not necessarily like really pulling you and yeah and they're like holy crap this is great like it doesn't make it and then there's like this weird fomo kind of thing where it's like oh god what other good books am i missing out on because i didn't give them a chance ah! yeah, and i i i could be a snub I'll admit it. Oh, there same, are yeah. so many books out there, and you kind of have yeah. to like be discerning. Oh, we already uh, like uh, read way too many books. <laughs> Not that there's too many books, but like the three of us read way more books than your average person, and uh, we sit like I mean, God, like no, can't be done. Yeah. Early on in my career as a librarian, someone told me like you'll never be able to read all the books that you want. My response then was challenge accepted, asshole. But, oh, you sweet baby. But now I'm starting to think they might have been right. I don't want to admit it. Oh, uh, who is it the other day? I want to shout out the person who uh, who was mad at us for giving them more books to read. <laughs> yeah, shout out to uh, Sam Mitchell at Sammy Mitch Turdy on Twitter, who said, you guys got to stop pumping out these great wrecks. Still got like five on backlog because of you. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome, Sam. <laughs> and it's partially because of this that tweet that I got the, the idea for this episode. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, no, yeah. Made the backlog works. is eternal, Sam. And also Your backlog of five. Oh, honey. <laughs> 
there's a great Twitter account that's like a year in progress and it has like a the green progress bar <laughs> and it said like 2022 is 50% done and I was like oh my god yeah. what books have I read <laughs> <laughs> I mean a lot yeah oh yeah I keep a list mm-hmm. and I was like oh god my like my to be red pile is so big what have I what have I even accomplished this year I keep buying books not reading them yeah, I've read 70 books. Wow. And it's July. That's a lot. Yeah. I haven't read that many. What is that? Some it's of them lot. are comic books. I do, yeah. in the in the sense of respecting the format, graphic novels yeah. count. Like, what? So a year is roughly 364 days. So half a, half a year is 180-ish days. So it's like a book so, every. Yeah, about, about every two days. Two to three days you've read a book. Roughly, yeah. And that's on top of, like, rereading A Course of Dragons for the podcast. Okay. But yeah, yeah, like, reading books uh, that you've already read. Yeah. 26 books. Yeah. That's insane, given that. I should. Oh, yeah. Steph, welcome to the club of here's my Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) I've already let you break me so much. (laughs) Sorry. I said on this podcast... Uh, I think it was I think it was last year. When did we start this podcast? Oh my god! I, <laughs> no, I think it was last year that I said I quit doing the the Goodreads uh, reader challenge. Mm. That's not the case this year. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do it again. I never learn. Yeah, I mean, so I also work in academia, so there's there's mm. a little bit of that. Um, yeah, mm. Sam, come join us. Come join us in dubious decision making. Yeah. So, what about you guys? Do you have any other recommendations yeah, from twenty twenty two? Yeah, the other two that I kind of um, was wanted to talk about was they're they're kind of in in this uh, vein of what we were talking earlier, and uh, that's Siren Queen and A Taste of Golden Iron, which were both really good. I I enjoyed them a lot, and they were like great light fantasy and like you know siren queen was like kind of like a noir kind of biographical thing and taste of golden iron was like a uh, romantic kind of ya uh situation they both just had very light fantasy elements um great queer love stories lots of good characters lots of sexy sex scenes uh yeah i just really enjoyed them them both a lot they were super fun reads very different uh, diff- different writing styles, but super compelling and just just fun and nice and yeah, it's nice to just run read fun and nice things. Honestly, no, yeah. So Only yeah, those those were my kind of two other standouts um, of what I've read so far this year, at least in terms of like books that have come out this year. Um, so yeah, go go check out my reviews for both of those books, and actually, probably. We're recording it next week, and I'll probably release it not too long after, because I'll probably get it out before. So A Taste of Golden Iron comes out at the end of August. Uh, next week, I'm recording an interview with Alexandra Rowland, the author. So I'll probably have that out sometime later this month, too, or maybe actually maybe after. Anyways, um, but yeah, so that's pretty exciting to uh, get talked to the author about that book. And it's a it's a fun book. Got me all hot and bothered in a very fun way. Support hot and bother. Mm-hmm. And or. Yes. For judgment. Yes. <laughs> um, all right, well, Steph did two. I'm going to do two. 
Um, I want to talk about smaller presses, right? Because a lot of what we cover has a lot of oomph behind it. It was a better word, yeah. but I didn't find it. We, we mostly cover Oof, Tor uh. and like <laughs> yeah. Macmillan because they send us stuff. Yeah, and Simon & Schuster. Like Big Five, look, I got no, no problem yeah. with Big Five publishers. And I think it's great that they get so much attention. But little presses are doing really cool stuff too. So I wanted I'm to the highlight... Orbit guy on here. Oh, and Orbit. Yeah, Orbit's enormous. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a book called Little Bird. Um, which, oh my God, it was the weirdest shit I read this year. I loved it so much, but it's about a woman who works from home and she's, she's also cleaning out her father's house. There's a lot of that this year, which I think is post-pandemic. I, I talk about it in my just like home review. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of those coming because a, a lot of millennials parents are dying. Yeah. And so I, that is, and like, and grandparents are dying. And I think that is, that is a trend that we will probably see more in books as the population continues to age yeah 100 percent. that definitely is what it was and i didn't put that together for my review so thank you to steph for drawing the dot connectors connecting the dots um but yeah just pretend it's in there what just pretend that is in the review i well i'm gonna tell people to go read it so they're gonna know the truth soon (laughs) i hope if they listen to me um but yeah, Little Bird is about this woman who, and she has a terrible drinking problem and she knows it and she can't fix it. And I think, you know, that there's something really heartbreakingly sympathetic in that where she's just, she's so alone and she can't muster the energy to do it for herself because she doesn't care about herself that much. The only person she cares about is not a person, it's her dog. And, you know, that resonates with a lot of people during the pandemic. Um, but in her backyard, these weird vines start to grow and a skeleton shows up and starts talking to her and i it doesn't go anywhere that i expected and i read so much that i expect most things (laughs) and holy shit it was just like it was the it was the book that was like so entirely the product of one person like i watched i watched so many marvel movies and i love them but they are movies by committee and like you know that can be good but like this is this is one person being like, you want to look at my heart? Look how weird it is. And it was great. And, uh, you know, another small press did a, a book called Help Meet, which is this fucking weird turn of the century, like creepy ass. It, it was so creepy. And it's about this love story. It's not about, it's not about a relationship falling apart. It's about a relationship getting repaired as this man is dying of something that is so horrible that that no one has a name for it. That he gets shunned from polite society. And, like, at one point, a syphilis doctor visits because that's the worst thing that they think that it could possibly be. And he's like, I don't know what this is. I'm getting out of here. And it's horrible. And, like, it's about this wife who stands by him. And, like, it's not really... It's not... But it's not about, like, the sacrificing woman, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not about her being so noble. It's because she loves him despite all of his flaws and he loves her be- despite being like a cheating son of a bitch and like I don't know it, it's it's weirdly beautiful given how much pus and necro like, <laughs> like what do you like leprosy almost like parts of him start falling out it's horrible but it's so weirdly sweet I don't know okay. big five publishers don't touch these things and yeah. I you know yeah. if you're looking for something different like go find a smaller press 
What are some smaller presses that you would recommend in general? Um, I just finished something by Tachyon. I think a lot of horror gets published by small presses in general. Um, so like Journal Stone and, um, oh my God, it's not coming to me off the top of my head. Um, I'll post, when this episode comes out, I'll post a list of the places, um, cause it's late on a Sunday and I just moved across the country. So <laughs> my brain's brain bad, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'll find that list. That's a good question. I should have been prepared for it. <laughs> but Josh, do you have, um, well, first of all, we both did too. So feel free to add, but yeah. also, um. You okay. said from this year. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no follow. <laughs> uh, two, I'll, I'll talk about the first one really quick because I want to uh, shine more of a light on the second one. Um, A.K. Larkwood released a sequel to um, yeah. The Unspoken Name this year called The Thousand Eyes. And it was... It, it basically took the main character... I'm speaking for many people, even though I don't know their opinions, that most people probably fell in love with in the first book and kind of takes her out of the book. Like, she's off the table and focuses on the two other characters that she mainly interacted with, and they become the main characters while they try to basically save uh, Kasorway, the uh, original main character from the first book. And... Both of them have, like from the first book, aspects of them that were kind of unlikable in the first book, in my opinion. But this book, like, does so much to make these characters just as loved as Kasori was in the first book. And this all while crazy snake gods are involved and, like, weird airships and magic that's, like, very like mixed with sci-fi and like there's like multiple worlds and dimensions and they're dying and some of them are dying and it's a it's a very different structure for like fantasy worlds and literally like it's like you know often when people talk about star wars now they don't say it's sci-fi it's like it's science fantasy not science fiction and this is kind of like that also and it's just, um, it's a crazy book, but it's also <laughs> grounded in, like, characters trying to find their place in the world. And uh, I, it's just a great book. And, I love, and like, I, I, want, I can't wait until I, like, read both of them back to back because the first book came out, like, right as the pandemic mm. started. So it's sort of like, there's, like, clouds in my brain where that first book is involved. And so, like, reading them back to back, I can't uh, wait to, like, dive back in. And, but uh, the second book I want to talk about is um, The Stardust Thief by Chelsea Abdullah. And it plays very much with, like, um, you know, like, it uses a lot of the tropes of like all the stories of the Arabian Nights, and it's basically like has that like if you've read a Neil Gaiman book, a lot of Neil Gaiman books are about how great stories are, and this kind of like dives into that same like realm of like here's why stories are so great, 
while this like plot is happening around it and it involves um a prince uh a woman who like her whole tribe was killed off and now she's like sort of a like merchant slash swindler uh a djinn and uh a thief who like the thieves in this story uh basically kill djinn like djinn are considered like sort of evil in this book and they have to go on a quest and i love i love a story that just like you know does the bait like goes with the basics of storytelling there's a quest and we gotta go on it (laughs) but meanwhile it plays with like um this long history there used to be more djinn around and the humans have like taken all the stories of the djinn and twisted them to make the djinn seem bad and then slowly as the book goes on it reveals like the true history of what like really happened and all the while like each of the main characters like uh a lot of real fun aspect of it is they all have secrets and they all have secrets that like are eventually revealed and it changes like the relate the relationships of all the characters and then like each time like um each time a djinn like one of the really powerful djinns comes up in the story it like sidetracks to telling the like story of that djinn and like who they are and like where they came from and you sort of have to like figure out whether is this the djinn version of the story or the Mm -hmm. human version of the story and uh it's a lot of fun i mean i I don't i I like recommend it especially because it's like um it's also like a coming of age story where like the thousand eyes and this is where i'll connect the threads um you know the main characters are trying to like figure out who they are really are and their place in the world all the while like they're learning like truths that they didn't know about and uncovering how um their like system of government has lied to them it's great i highly recommend it i love secret histories yeah it's awesome now uh that we've covered uh those stories have we done three each like four three or four books each that's all i had prepared on my for me myself anyways and i can talk Uh, forever so (laughs) don't I'll start us off um, with books not from twenty that were not published in twenty twenty two that we sort of been reading. Um, last year, uh, I was like uh, DMing Christina about um, you know what if I could cover wrestling books on the website, and she said, uh, "Why not like put together a list of like." of what wrestling books you would recommend to people. And then like, I realized, Oh, I haven't really read that many wrestling books. So while I've been reading books that have come out in 2022, I have been also reading as many of like the best wrestling books I could, uh, you know, get my hands on. Uh, you know, skipping all the ones that are considered bad and also avoiding um, some of the more uh, problematic wrestlers that have published books. And I realized, like, you know, reading, like, different wrestling books like Bret Hart's uh, biography 
and like Guy Evans' uh, book on like the demise of uh, WCW from the '90s called Nitro, and like uh, the history of New Japan Wrestling, which is the like main promotion in Japan for wrestling that's still going to this day. And then you can like compare that to reading like the um, the Young Bucks, which is a tag team uh, wrestling now, uh, their biography, and uh, John Moxley, who is a wrestler now, whose biography just came out last year. You realize how like how terrible of an industry it was in the eighties and nineties, especially like how we the things we know about athletes now and like CTE and like all this other stuff and how like um, athletes basically how the science of athleticism has changed and how athletes have taken a more direct approach, like intellectually or like how they know to like work out and how that has evolved. You see like comparing the newer biographies to the older ones, how much, uh, wrestling has changed and don't get me wrong there's still like with any industry there's still like very problematic aspects and like there's always going to be like some like immoral stuff like and i think this happens in most sports but you just see like how things have changed in like a very short amount of time as the science of health and athleticism has changed and uh, I've just been trying to read as many of them as possible. So eventually, like, if this, if this, uh, by the time, like, no, this comes out soon. Um, hopefully by the end of this year, I'll have a, like, comprehensive list of, you know, recommended books. And I'll probably separate them from, like, you know, talking about the past to talking about now and, uh, you know, how it's changed. To be clear, I did not mean to give you a historical assignment. No, you did not. <laughs> I was no, just curious. I took, I took away, like, it's not an assignment. I took what you said okay, cool. and made my own project out of it. <laughs> All right. As long as it's inspired and not assigned. Yeah, not yeah. homework. Cool. No. Yeah. I did take one of your recommendations, uh, and it was one of the Christmas presents I got for my husband. So thank you for that, by the way. Which one? Uh, you told me to get squaring the circle or circling the square. Something about a circle and a square. I'm sorry, <laughs> it was a long time. Christmas was a whole year ago, probably. I have to check my <laughs> list. I did what you told me, Josh, and that's all I know. <laughs> so I learned you. it from you. <laughs> well, he liked it. So. You're welcome. I think you, you, and he can talk about it, and I, I did my part. Steph, I know you've been reading books that uh, are not from 2022. Yeah, no, I mean, really, my my definitely my standout for this year uh, of of books from previous years um, has been the Locked Tomb series. I absolutely love them. I read both of the books that are out in. I think I read Gideon in a week, and I think I read Harrow in two weeks. Maybe not even that long for both of them and no they're great they're super fun you guys have been recommending them forever and i absolutely see why they are just like fun my my favorite kind of sci-fi which is like sci-fi so far in the future that it's basically like fantasy 
Um, there's like magic, but also spaceships. And they both have really good mysteries in them to unravel. And there's lots of juicy little bits. And I, uh, you know, I had lots of predictions that I yelled at you guys to varying successes. So I'm going to post an article uh, ranking my various theories by correctedness in a a couple weeks. You will have posted by the time it's That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I scheduled it for tomorrow. So. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you, you know, if you if you have read those books, uh, go on Geekly and check out my uh, locked tomb theories ranked by how wrong I was. <laughs> Could also have been by how correct you were. You nailed some stuff that I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Can't say anything. Yeah. There were a few bad. good ones that I that I felt really good about nailing. And then there were some that I was like way off, but. Um, yeah, they're just great. Like, and it just, you know, one of those books that right from the jump really hooks you with an interesting, different, uh, setting characters, you know, the idea that like, it's a universe that runs on necromancy and also expanding the idea of what is necromancy. Necromancy is not just bringing back zombies or people from the dead. Like necromancy is manipulating the body and the different parts of it and, um yeah just a great job of like you know throwing all these characters down uh you know there there's roughly 20 named characters in the first book and uh Tamsin Muir does a great job of like balancing them out consistently reminding you of who they are too like a great like doesn't just throw a bunch of names at you and then expect you to remember exactly who those people are for the rest of the book like consistently does a subtle job of reminding you this person is from here and they do this um, which is great, and you know, making you love and hate a bunch of them very quickly. Yeah, just like you know, I I love a good snarky protagonist, and Gideon is an incredibly snarky protagonist. Uh, and they just like Gideon and Harrow just shit on each other all the time, and it's funny, and it's spooky, and it's mysterious, and it's it's great. There's, yeah. Great series. She's also very horny, and I appreciate that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my god! Especially in the first book, there's so many times where she was just like, "I had to sit down because she was so hot." <laughs> yeah. Have you already like written down your predictions for Nona? Yes. Yes. So in the um, t- in my theories uh, article, I also included my predictions for Nona, which like ultimately isn't a huge amount it's more like okay so i i think generally the crux of the book is going to be figuring out who nona is um because you know that's the the sort of mystery that's posited in the the book preamble excited but yeah no the yeah just like you know if you want something different and fun and uh another you know book that has a very satisfying ending where things come together and make sense definitely definitely check out the lock tomb also, I feel like references to memes. Yes. Oh my god. Just like which <laughs> some people find cringe yeah. in the lock I tomb, but I it. love it. I loved it. Yeah. There's a in in uh, the second book. There's a nun pizza left beef goof that just had me <laughs> howling. Uh, our mutual friend Jack, when he read it, and that part came up, he like DM'd me immediately, like yelling. <laughs> I, like, I can't believe this was in the box. I didn't want to bring it up to Josh. I distinctly remember this. Didn't want to bring it up because I was like, that can't. No. <laughs> no. So. 
Yeah, what about what about you guys? Books books not from 2022 that stuck out to you. I guess well, I guess we did Josh. So the books that So actually Ursula Vernon slash T. Kingfisher has put out two books this year, which let's just pause as how insane that is. Yeah. And they're radically different. One is a gothic-ish horror and the other one is a high fantasy type thing. Um, and they're both great. But even that wasn't enough for me because I'm greedy. Terrible. Um, huh. And so I went looking for her back catalog, but I'd read all of that. And so I went to her children's back catalog. Mm. Um, so T. Kingfisher publishes under that name because originally she was a children's book author. And so I um, I read her, her middle grade slash young adult book, which was phenomenal. It's called Ooh. A Castle Hangnail. And it's, uh, it's about this... Uh, it's all the tropes from big monster movie type of horror. So like the Frankenstein and the Igor and all of this. Um, and it's about a 12 or 13 year old girl who's like, hi, this is my castle now. And they're all like, pardon? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was, it was like adorable, but also in that sneaky way that really good authors have is just gets you right in the heart. Mm. Just like, oh, actually she's writing about really real stuff. Mm. And then I read her elementary school age books, um, which are all takes on fairy tales that are very snarky, and they feature a a princess who is also a idiot. She's just, okay. She's just a rat version of Rapunzel. The first book is called <laughs> Ratpunzel, in fact. <laughs> and it's great, because the, the central premise, and I'm not even giving anything away, is that she knows that she's cursed to fall asleep or, you know, to die, but then to fall asleep on whatever the birthday is. And she's like, but that means it's going to happen. So until then, I'm immortal. <laughs> Nothing can, I'm invulnerable to everything. And this, she immediately proves it by jumping out a 900 foot tower and bouncing. And it just gets zanier from there. And it's That's like, fun. I know that we're supposed to be sophisticated and like, fuck it, no. whatever. We are, but also I, you know, it was I watched time. wrestling. There's nothing sophisticated <laughs> about that. No sophistication. Mm, the yeah. age of sophistication is over. Yeah, <laughs> like what you like. The, the age of enjoyment has begun. Yes. I enjoy the hell out of yes. these books. They are. I, they were recommended by a friend. The age of enjoyment is a great name. That is good. <laughs> I might just t- title this episode that. Well, the other episode I think has to be called Consent Onion. <laughs> that was that was tough. Listeners, in eight months, listen to our Memory of Souls <laughs> coverage oh to get where that's from. Consent is like an onion. <laughs> no matter which way you cut it, you need it in everything. And it'll make you cry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was making the Shrek no, joke yeah. of yeah. it having layers. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, your inner six-year-old would be delighted, and you're honestly, you're honest, your your inner thirty-six or fifty-six or eighty-six-year-old would be delighted because they're good stories. They're lighthearted. They never um, they they call they call out the foibles of fairy tales in a way that's loving. It's like, how do thorns help Rapunzel? How does covering her in thorns help anything? Because the dad in the castle is like, yeah, but what about the foundation? That's like, really concerned. <laughs> just like, 
you know what? I sympathize. Yeah. <laughs> that That is not a comprehensive list of all the good books that I have read by any means, but like... This episode would be eight hours long if we covered all the books that we read. Yeah. Unlistenable. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but are there any books and we... there A lot of books have come out this year, but uh, are there any books from this year that published this year that you've seen like on a list or that you've wanted to read but haven't gotten the chance to yet and uh i'll start us off um there's an author named john m ford who died in 2006 i believe of uh like complications with diabetes and uh, he was close friends with uh, robert jordan and neil gaiman and he had an unfinished fantasy book called uh, Aspects that uh, he never finished when he passed away. But Tor has published the unfinished version of Aspects this year. And uh, it's been on my like to-read list for most of the year. And it is uh, like, apparently a mix of like, um, like Victorian era... And Georgian era, you know, Great Britain with like, you know, where magic is like a regular part of society and this like like a sociopolitical kind of story. And like, you know, I've, you know, opened it up and read like the first couple pages, but I haven't like really had time to like dive into it. And there's a part of me because it's unfinished that is sort of like reluctant to read it. But the way, the amount of praise that is given to this book that is unfinished makes me want to, like, really, like, read it and, you know, review it for Geekly that uh, I just haven't gotten the chance to, but I'm hoping to for the year is, you know, ended. What about you guys? I think for me, often, you know, the the ones I end up wanting to read are the ones that you guys talk about. Because you make them sound great. And then, like, if you guys think they're good, then they're probably good. So I was like, oh, quite well, adding that to the list. But, uh, you know, that as we talked about that, that log get, grows pretty quickly, especially <laughs> with Christina reading 70 books a year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's not nothing, honestly, really came to mind when we talked about this. But, yeah, just I think, you know, it, most of the books that you guys talk about, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah. Yeah, my I, list, likewise, has grown by... Mm-hmm. seven oops yeah yeah it's not from this year but um i've been meaning you guys both read it and i've been meaning to read star eater for a while and mm-hmm. so you know having just read the lock tomb i was like well maybe i'll just continue on my space nun journey there's so many space nuns yeah then you can read sisters of the vast black those are literally catholic nuns in space it's oh god no, no. <laughs> no, no, it, it's it's really good. <laughs> There's just, actually, there are so many space lesbian nuns. Mm. I like this gem. Yeah. I think the book that I'm most looking forward to is the book that everyone's most looking forward to, because I haven't gotten to it yet, because see aforementioned other books um, to review and stuff, but Nona, like, mm, Nona yeah. the Ninth, just, like, I know it's going to be insane, as they are those kind of books that you have to pay attention. You have yes. to sit down and pay attention. And I haven't wanted to ruin that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of life events. Um, I moved across the country and got a new job. Um, 
I'm told by my therapist that this is a lot of stress. <laughs> I think that she might be lying to make me feel better, which is why I'm in therapy. But that being said, like, I haven't, I almost don't want to read it too, because then it'll be over. Does that? Yeah. Oh, like, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But there's another book. Yeah. I know, but like, then that book will be over. Like, yeah. I want to read it, but also I want it to be there. I think probably at some point in this well, podcast. Well, to be fair, you're going to have to read it more than once. I know. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I, probably this podcast after we finish Course of Dragons in 2040 or whatever. I, we'll, we'll probably honestly finish it by next year. We might do the Locktomb series. Mm-hmm. It's just so fucking good. Mm-hmm. It's so complicated and I don't understand it until yeah. I do. Yeah. And very different from A Course of Dragons, so. Very different. But also similarly horny. Yes. Also, like, the lock tomb is so different that, like, what I get out of it and what Steph gets out of it and what you get out of it will be, like, totally different. Especially, like, reading them. Well, this will be, I've read Gideon a lot of times, actually. (laughs) But, uh, we'll all get something different from it, especially when we're rereading it rather than the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I, when I reread Gideon, it made a lot more sense. But that sense of mystery was, like, less, so. Good to read, good to reread. Yeah, that's that's always a hallmark of a good book. Okay. Mm-hmm. God, I can't wait. It's so good. I think, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, me too. So, yeah. uh, ask, ask me what I'm reading. <laughs> Josh, what are you Josh. I'm reading right now, since we just talked about it, Nona the Night. <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about halfway through. Um, I believe it doesn't come out until September. September, September 13th, I think. September 13th, yeah. Yeah. So Whatever far, the Tuesday is. So far, it's just as weird as Harrow, but <laughs> in a totally different way. Nice. Uh, Steph, what are you reading? Uh, what am I reading right now? I'm going to start Nona, and I might read Star Eater, and... Oh, yeah, and then I'm reading uh, Lavender House, which comes out in October. I am reading uh, Reluctant Immortals, by Gwendolyn Kissed, and... Um, I'm reading a bunch of other stuff, too, because that's how you read 70 books in half a year. You read them all concurrently, and then you're like... <laughs> Why does the inside of my head hurt all the time? <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it at that. Reluctant Immortals is really good, uh, really eerie, um, really set in the 60s, which is not the time you think of horror, uh, but you should, yeah. apparently. Yeah, it's got a very funky... I love the cover so much. It's so, like, psychedelic. So we started with books that we hated the cover, and we ended with books. That- <laughs> this is a full Wait, circle I have, podcast. I have one more thing mm-hmm. that I have to add. Oh. Uh, I'm not reading it, but uh, talking back about the books I'm re- I'm reading about wrestling and like making a list of comprehensive wrestling books people should read. It's all gonna be thrown in the trash because the former head of chairman, CEO, and head of creative of WWE, Vince McMahon, is in the midst of a like huge like embezzling slash 
like sex scandal to the point that the a person who was actively writing like a bi- like a, a biography about all the past crazy things and bad things Vince McMahon did in the past that he had to completely stop writing his book and start over Whoa. because this is such a big deal. Like it's always been talked about Vince McMahon would die in the chair mm-hmm. at WWE and now because of the scandal and he's used like company money he's been forced to retire Ooh. so there'll be new books that I'll have to Wrestling read scandals. And add to that list so yeah that's what uh, I just want to add that a little uh, wrestling true crime. crime yeah uh, you can find me at four or five ways. <laughs> you can find me at Steph O. Kingston in various places, including geeklyinc.com. And you can find me at Oladdy Girl, including on geeklyinc.com. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Come read with us. Books. Books. Thank you for listening to No Page Unturned, part of the Geekly Inc. podcast family. If you like the show, please show us some love with a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at No Page Podcast. The show is edited by me, Steph Kingston. Our amazing theme music is by Bad Sparrow, and you can check them out at Bad Sparrow Music. And our cover art is by Chango Chimango, who you can check out on Instagram and Twitter at Chango Chimango.